For those of us in the sanctuary this morning and watching online this morning, we are going to start off the new year uh, with the study of a famous character from the Old Testament named Gideon. And I want to let you know some of the original source material comes from a devotional written by Priscilla Shire, but I just believe that this is a, a where God has for us to be in a study that he wants us to kind of dig into the life of this new character. Now, before we jump in, I just got to know, we are on like January 2nd. We had the whole New Year's Eve celebration. So how many of you, I think people are kind of in one of two camps. How many of you are in the camp of, I stayed up late and I counted down to the new year? Any stayed up late, rang in the New Year's? How many of you were, forget about that, I'm going to bed. It'll still be New Year when I wake up. We have a lot more of you. you you're probably wise, right? It, it's still New Year whether you watch the ball drop or not. If somebody stayed up or they're still kind of in that New Year's haze, feel free again. Make sure your neighbor stays awake and say, God has something for you. You don't want to miss what God has. Gideon is a guy who lived in the time that the judges brought leadership to God's people, the nation of Israel. He's an, he's an Old Testament character. and It would be wrong of us to say that the judges ruled Israel. God was the ruler of Israel. But they kind of brought some leadership to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Now this happens, if you kind of follow again through Old Testament history, it's, it's long after the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. There was bondage and there was oppression. They, they weren't really free to worship God the way that they wanted to. And they continually cried out to God until he raised up a leader named Moses who helped lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And then for about 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness between Egypt and what God had told them was the promised land, the land of, of Canaan. And then God, after 40 years in the desert, raised up the leader, Joshua, who brought his people into the promised land. And about 100 years after Joshua is when we find the time where Gideon's story takes place. God's people have been in the promised land, and yet not everything seems to go as easily as they desired for it to go. You have a Bible with you this morning. It might be a paper Bible. It might be a, a digital Bible. Maybe you need to borrow the Bible that's in the chair in front of you. But I invite you to get out your Bible, lift it up nice and high, and just say, I got my Bible, PJ. We are going to be in Judges chapter 6 this morning, so I invite you to turn there. It's going to be the focus of where we're going to be, Judges chapter 6. Have you ever received a gift that you really wanted, but after you received it, it didn't quite live up to the hype that maybe you were expecting it to have? I think every parent kind of secondhand knows the frustration of like you have a child who has been asking for a gift for like weeks and weeks or maybe months they've been desiring this gift and it's top of the list and so you go out and you buy the gift and you wrap it up and, and Christmas morning or their birthday or whatever comes and they tear open the gift and maybe they just kind of throw it beside them or maybe they tear open the gift and they're really excited and then they play with it all day. And then the next day they play with it a little bit. And the next day they play with it for a couple minutes. And like a week later it's on a shelf or tucked away in a toy box. And four years later you find it somewhere hidden in a closet corner. And you're like, man, you never played with that after I got it for you. I remember as a young boy, I used to really enjoy cars. 
It's kind of an inherited thing uh, from my family line. My father was really into uh, cars and muscle cars, and, and, and his father uh, worked for General Motors, and it kind of just seemed like this inherited thing that I really liked cars. And I can remember like my dream when I was a young boy is I wanted to design sports cars. I, I was hoping to kind of like learn math, learn art, learn uh, architecture, learn drafting. I was trying all this stuff to, to kind of work my way towards designing sports cars. And I remember somewhere along the line, somebody suggested, well, something that might be a fun hobby for you is building model cars. And I thought, well, that sounds like a really cool idea. Like, I could have some ownership in the whole process of, of working towards it, and, and I could build it. And then when I'm done, I'll have this really cool model car that I can play with and, you know, drive around on the carpet. And, and it'll be cool, and it'll be mine. And I used to really like Legos. And I remember... I remember going to the store, and at least back in the day, the toy, there was a toy aisle that was just filled with model cars. And I remember looking at all of the boxes and looking at the pictures and thinking how cool they were. And I remember grabbing one or, or getting one and, and bringing it home. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be so cool. This is going to be exciting to, to build this model car and then to have this really great toy that I made. And we opened the box, and, and in my little kid mind, I'm thinking... You know, an hour or two from now, I'm going to have this great toy. And we pull out all of these little pieces, and we start breaking them out of the little frame that they're in. And, and like, we spend four hours, and all we've done is pull pieces out and paint, like, three things that are going to be buried inside the car. But I'm like, okay, tomorrow we're going to get this thing. And my dad and I, for, like, a week, spent hours every night working on this thing, and we still had, like, a small bit of an engine. And I'm like... What on earth? And I remember fairly soon along the way, I completely lost interest in building the model car, having no concept of how much work was going to be involved. I learned what I really wanted was a toy cock, not the entire process of trying to build one and how much work was going to be involved. I think sometimes life is, is kind of like that. We have these expectations or these desires. We, we want to experience God's blessing and God's goodness, the, the promised land, and yet we don't really anticipate the work that's involved, right? Like we, we find somebody and we fall in love and we have all these ideas running through our head of like romantic walks on the beach and rugged adventures in the wilderness. And usually before we get home from our honeymoon, we've learned marriage is going to take work. <laughs> Or, or maybe we bring home this child from the hospital and it's this beautiful experience and the nursery is all decorated and there's frilly little curtains and, and a crib that's all set up and we set our child in there and somewhere around 2 a.m. there's these blood-curdling screams in the We have dreams for a new business and becoming our own boss or maybe a promotion and we're thinking, yeah, if only I was in charge, things would be better and, and we're just hoping to get that new promotion and the new big paycheck and, and we get it and all of a sudden we realize holy cow there is a lot more responsibility a lot more effort and a lot more work maybe we buy a new house and it doesn't take more than a week to learn the sarcastic meaning of the joys of homeownership <laughs> maybe you've bought a new computer or a smartphone and you've sat there trying to set the thing up, and as it's on the table, you're looking at it going, I don't know if it's a smartphone, but it's definitely a smarter-than-me phone. <laughs> 
sometimes in life there are situations that take a little bit more effort than what maybe we were originally anticipating. And this is where God's people find themselves at the start of Gideon's story. To really understand Gideon's story and where God's people find themselves in Judges chapter 6, we're going to rewind a little bit. So you remember God's people were in slavery in Egypt. Moses led them out. Joshua brings them into the promised land. And that's where Gideon's story happens. So we're going to rewind a little bit to Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is taking place during those days where Moses has led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And so Deuteronomy chapter 7, part of what God commands his people is this. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess, and he drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Don't intermarry with them and do not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons. For they'll turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you're to do to them. Break down their altars and smash the sacred stones. Cut down the asherah poles and burn their idols in the fire. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people and his treasured possession. The Lord didn't set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. You were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He's the faithful God. He keeps his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate them. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you, as he swore to your ancestors. The nations that inhabited the land of Canaan were violent, oppressive, and filled with every kind of injustice. Their lives reflected nothing of the goodness of God, nothing of the glory of God, and nothing that God would desire for his people to live. They were vengeful, and they were greedy, and they were filled with sin. Their worship of idols went as far as taking their children and murdering them as a sacrifice for the idols. They worshipped what they saw. They had no real understanding of Yahweh, creator God, and so they worshipped everything around them that they thought reflected power. They worshipped the sun and the moon. They worshipped harvest. They worshipped fire and water. They worshipped war and they worshipped sex. And God's desire was to use his people that he had chosen to come up out of Egypt as an instrument of justice on the nations that had existed in Canaan. To say that all of the sin that is running rampant, people that are destroying my creation, people that are destroying my most precious creation in one another, that are sacrificing children to the gods that they carve out of stone, I'm going to use my people to bring judgment upon the sin. And God's command was clear. These nations were to be totally wiped out, to be destroyed completely. And the very first spies that ever went into the promised land noticed something that was still a reality in Gideon's day a hundred years later. 
A total clearing of the land of Canaan was not a small task. Many of the nations that were in the land of Canaan were strong and heavily fortified. They were well equipped with advanced weaponry of the time. And so when Joshua sent the first, or excuse me, when Moses sent the first spies into the promised land, they came back and most of them said, we can't do this. And that entered the whole period of the 40 years of wandering before Joshua went into the promised land. And even after Joshua had gone in and they had begun to take the promised land, it had been a hundred years by the time that Gideon comes and they still had not completely cleared the promised land. They had a lot of success in certain areas. They had success particularly in the hill country because there was the ability to kind of hide and to use their more primitive weapons against the nations of Canaan. But they particularly had difficulty in the plains. Judges 1.19 tells us a big part of that was because of their fear of the iron chariots of the nations that were there. Israel at the time of Gideon was making decisions based upon their fear, based upon their limited resources. And so rather than obeying the direct command of their limitless God, they were hiding in the mountains, fighting only where it was comfortable and convenient and easy, and not following through on all that God had, failing to realize that no weapon or military strategy could ever stand up against Almighty God. And so Gideon's story opens in chapter 6 as God's people have entered the promised land and are hiding and refusing to obey all that God commands. Judges chapter 6 starts this way. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites would plant their crops, the Midianites, the Malachites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land. They ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and didn't spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep or cattle or donkeys. They came up with their livestock and tents like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened. The Israelites have grown comfortable and complacent with everything that they've achieved at the time of Gideon. They had begun to forget about the God who had brought them out of Egypt and all that he had done and how he had been with them in the early conquest of the promised land. And they had even started to worship the foreign gods of the people around them. It was almost as if they felt that some of the promised land was better than having to fight for all of it. But the truth is, there really is no such thing as partial obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. And anybody, again, who has ever been a parent can understand this principle where you tell your child, what I want you to do is clean your room. And you give them about an hour and you go in and sure enough, there are some, the closet doors are closed and, and the clothes pile has been picked up and, and maybe the bed has been made. But you look around the room and you go, 
but why are there still this pile of toys? And why do you have trash laying over here? And why, when I open the closet doors, does everything fall down on me? I didn't tell you to clean some of your room. I told you to clean your room. And I meant to do the whole thing. Partial obedience is disobedience. God didn't tell the Israelites to take some of the promises. He didn't say, just go to the hill country of the promised land, and, and that'll be good enough, and you can live in peace among all of the people who live there, and, and they can have the plains, and you can have the hills. He said, take all of it. In fact, he told them that even when you take your territory, if another tribe of Israel has land that I have given to them, you're to fight for them to take all of the land. I want to look with you for a minute at what caused the Israelites to settle and what it cost them. What caused them to partial live in partial obedience to God's command? And the number one thing that I think we need to acknowledge is fear. They were simply afraid. That they realized that the nations that they were fighting had iron chariots, and they were strong, and they were powerful chariots, and, and they only had more primitive weaponry. How were they ever going to fight on the, in the plains against these other nations? And they were afraid of what it might cost them to live out all that God had said. Now, part of the crazy thing is, if they were only to rewind their minds to the story when God had brought them powerfully up out of Egypt, Egypt followed them out with chariots. And you might remember the story as Moses stands on the banks of the Red Sea, and the chariots of Egypt are bearing down on God's people, and God has him separate his arms, and, and people come and hold Moses' arms up so that God parts the Red Sea, and God's people walk across on dry land. And after they're across, the chariots come rushing into the Red Sea, and God allows the walls of the Red Sea to completely destroy the armies of Pharaoh. And yet here are God's people, 140-some years later, living in the promised land, afraid. Saying, I don't know if we're strong enough to defeat the nations that have iron chariots. I believe that part of what caused their partial, uh, partial obedience was worship avoidance. They got into the promised land, and there was a lot to do. <laughs> There's conquering, planting, building. It's hard work establishing a new civilization. We're in the promised land now. And there's so much to do. How do we have time to do all that God has for us? It seems like that God's people are neglecting worship. They're not telling the stories anymore. Hey, remember what God did when he brought up his people out of Egypt? Remember before how when there was chariots that God's people had faced, he dealt with that? Remember, we need to tell the stories again here in the promised land. They didn't sing the songs of worship and of adoration. And the memory of God seemed to fade as they sought value and purpose in the world around them rather than the identity that God had called them. They settled into partial obedience because of idolatry. As they got into the promised land and as things were difficult and as things were scary, trying to do everything that God had had for them, as they began to kind of forget about who God was and they stopped worshiping the God that they had, had followed, they started 
reflecting the nations that were all around them. Exactly what God would told them would happen if they didn't completely clear the land. They started listening to what were the other nations saying? What did they worship? And they began seeing the same kind of powers in, in, in sex and in war and in, in food and in the harvest. And they began to worship the other things and they began to reflect the culture more than to transform the culture that they lived in. And yet again, if they had only remembered the worship of God, the story of when God brought them up out of Egypt. God gave ten plagues to Egypt to show that he is more powerful than anything else that the people would worship. God wanted them to know who he was. And I believe that their partial obedience was also caused by apathy and laziness. Rather than pressing on with the command that God had given them, it was easier to accept what they had already accomplished. Feeling like, well, this is good enough. I mean, is, we're in the promised land. We, we have territory. We're not in slavery anymore. So isn't this just kind of good enough? Can't I just accept where I, where I am? We don't need the plains. We'll just let the other countries live there. They lived in partial obedience, and it cost them. And what it cost them primarily was nearness to God. It cost the Israelites who were living in the land of Canaan the same thing that sin has caused since the very, very beginning of time. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God created humankind in his image, and his desire was to be connected. And it says in, in the Genesis account that God walked with his people in the cool of the day. He loved to be with them. And what sin did, and more than anything else, is it separated sinful human beings from a holy God. And what it cost the people of Canaan was it cost them the nearness of God. The God who had provided for them. The God who had led them out of slavery in Egypt. The God who had given them the promised land saying, this is a land of rest. You worked in slavery in Egypt and I promised you a land where you could enter my rest. What I wanted was to go back to Eden. I wanted us to reconnect. I wanted you to be in a place where you could experience all of my goodness, all of my blessings, and experience me and your sin your failure to live out all that I've commanded has costed you me. And as a byproduct of that, it's cost you protection. Because the protection that God gives happens when you are connected with God's presence. And if you are pulling yourself away from God, you can't have the protection that God offers. He desires to be with his people and he desires to protect them, but they aren't drawing near to God, and so they don't have that protection. They don't have his provision. And so the Midianites, they're camping all around God's people, and they are raiding. Every time they try to plant, every time they try to have some land to let their livestock graze on, the Midianites just try to overtake it. They can't grow anything. They can't live, and they're living in difficulty and hardship primarily because they've pulled away from God. They've lost their purity. They've lost who they were supposed to be, a, a, a people devoted to the Lord, a people who worshiped one God. The Lord your God is God. And they began to worship the gods around them. And it cost them their purpose. The whole purpose that God called them to was to say, you are a holy people. The purpose is I want you to reflect 
my glory. I want you to reflect my holiness. When I put you in the land of Canaan, and when you live in holiness to me, and when you have my protection, you have my provision, you live a life that is connected to me, every other nation around the world will look at you, and they will see what happens to a people that is fully devoted to God. And they will be drawn, not only to you, but they will be drawn to the God you worship. But you have lost your identity. You've lost who you were supposed to be. You've become just like all of the nations living in the promised land before I ever allowed you to enter it. You started worshiping the same gods, doing the same things, and following the same ideas. You've lost who you were created and called to be. So the question for us this morning is where in your life is there a temptation to partial obedience? What in your life are you tempted to only obey God in part? Maybe you know what God's desire is for you, but you're afraid of what full obedience might cost you. The idea of, of saying God has something for me, but if I step into what God has, what are other people going to think? Maybe it's going to cost me some relationships. Maybe there's going to be some difficulty. Maybe this is going to be hard. Maybe I'm going to have to give up on some, some habits or some other things. Maybe you're so busy that you're just putting God off. You'll get back to it later. Like the, like the Israelites going into the promised land. I, I am building and I'm creating and there's so many things going on right now and, and my life is so busy and there, there's doctor's visits and I've got family responsibilities and I've got job responsibilities and I've got house responsibilities. i got all this other stuff. And so, God, I'll kind of get back to you later. I know what you have for me, but I'm kind of busy right now. So it's kind of hard for me to step into all that you have for me. So, so maybe right now I'll just kind of let you sit on the back burner. Maybe you've grown comfortable, and you, you, you're part of what God has for you, but there's still some other things around you that they, they kind of provide for you, too. And everybody else looks to those things. They look to alcohol, and, and they look to sex, and, and, and they look to money, and they look to doctors, and, and they look to all of the things that the world says, hey, you ought to worship me. And you, think, well, you know what? Maybe I could reflect everybody else who's around me in the culture, and I don't need all God. And you've grown comfortable and complacent and looking for other things to provide, to help you, to calm you. And maybe you're just tired. <laughs> maybe you want to accept that whatever blessings you have from God are good enough. I've come into the promised land and, and I've experienced something and it has been good and I've worked so hard and I'm just tired. <laughs> I've done enough. I, I, where I'm at is good enough. And the truth is, God never told his people they were done until they had done everything that he had commanded, until they cleared the entirety of the promised land. He said, even when you have your land, and, and the, the, the land allotted to your tribe of Israel, you're to fight for the other 11 tribes and for the land that they are supposed to have. You're not done. I think sometimes we reach this point in life where we're like, I've worked hard enough. Somebody else can do the rest. And God never calls us to that. He says, so long as you have life, 
I'm calling you to play a part in my kingdom. I still have more that I want for you to do. You're, you're not done. You're not handing it off and saying, well, I did my part. You do yours. Because I still want to use you. I'm still calling you to play a part in building my kingdom. A short-sighted view of God often makes partial obedience seem like it's the best, safest, or most reasonable choice. But it will always lead to a future hardship, which eventually makes our lives more difficult than they need to be. You can't help but wonder how things might have been different for Israel if they had just trusted that no weapon or nation or military strategy could ever stand up against the power of God. We can't help but wonder how our lives would be different if we would do the same. Trusting and believing that God's nearness is always worth the cost and refusing to settle for partial obedience in our own lives. Because partial obedience is disobedience. And no matter what reasons we have for failing to do all that God asks for us, Full obedience will always lead to greater blessing in our lives. And partial obedience will only cost us in the end. Let me pray for God. Father God, I believe that you have always desired for your people to experience the power of your presence. To be near to you, that you would be our God and we would be your people and that we would experience the goodness, the abundance, the provision, the blessing that you have desired from the beginning of creation to give to your people. And God, so often the story that has been written replays, especially when we avoid listening to God, what you want to say and, and remembering the stories and remembering the history and remembering where you have brought your people. And so, God, in this year, as we begin to look at the story of Gideon and where God's people find themselves here in the book of Judges, help us to look at our own lives. And help us to not neglect everything that we've done before. To see how God is inviting us to experience Him. In this new year, you're inviting us into a promised land inviting us out of the wilderness, out of slavery, out of bondage, all of, all of the things that sin brought into our lives, and you are calling us into a new place and a new year to trust you, to draw near to you, and to experience all that you have for us. If only we would obey you in faith, in confidence, and completeness. Help us this day, God, to be a people dedicated wholly completely to you. We want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. As a reminder, uh, there are offering baskets available uh, at the exit doors to the sanctuary. We appreciate those of you who worship the Lord through the giving of your tithes and offerings. It does allow us to continue the ministries of the church, and so we greatly appreciate that as an act of your worship this morning. And we would love to invite you to come back and join us next Sunday as we continue our study on Gideon. Go with God. God bless.